Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan, and we're back with Bob Kappelman. I, I feel that the, or the resolution, I should say, we've discussed the fact that the, the whereas section contains really many, many false, overtly false statements. Uh, I think that's one thing that that is abundantly clear. And when we get into what they want to accomplish or what they want the, to accomplish, you're looking at, at really, you're looking at accomplishing a, com- a complete disruption. What they want to do is a, they want to create a complete disruption of American society. And then when you get into the results section of this resolution, you understand why. And I think we've been beating around the bush here, but I think that you and I both understand what the goal is. If you, based on a variety of false assumptions, uh, you get to do a whole bunch of things that cause complete disruption of society, the result that they want to achieve is the creation of a socialist tyranny in this country. They want the government or the elite group of elite rulers, the ruling class. None of it will apply to them, of course, but all of this will apply to every single common regular citizen. The government will control every aspect of their life. Is that how you see this? Uh, That is really the way I do see it. Um, I think you have to look at the fact that they keep talking about, look at the things we were able to do mobilizing to World War II. Look at what we were able to do uh, to get a man to the moon. If anyone looks at what happened during World War II, the government had to take extraordinary action. You basically were telling industries what to make. The whole population understood the threat of the uh, the Nazis, the fascists, and therefore people were willing to accept companies being ordered to s- switch from this particular manufacturing thing to something else because the danger was so real. This is why you get so many of the, these are the horrible things that are happening now, just how much worse it's going to be, my gosh, we've never had hurricanes like we've had recently. And if it's this bad with the little bit of climate change that man's caused, imagine what it's going to be like. Look what our models say. Look at the, um, and again, we we mentioned this, they look at the absolute worst case 
models. When you look at inundating farmland and so on, uh, one of the things that the, the DOD did an analysis. They took the worst case. They said, the scientists said, well, we can, sea level may rise 10 feet in the uh, uh, Indochina. Okay, I'll take that as a given. What will happen then? Well, all the farmland will be wiped out, and these people will move up to China. The Vietnamese and the Chinese have been enemies for a thousand years. There's going to be a regional war. You get a report saying climate change will cause disastrous regional wars. Again, what data did you put in there? You made an assumption that was totally unreasonable, but what you're trying to do is create this this idea that disaster, the worst disaster, how about an existential threat that's the worst we've ever faced? Have you heard that from the politicians? That gives me the justification to do things on a World War II mobilization schedule. We, are, we have to mobilize like we did in World War II to stop this climate change. And so a lot of people didn't ask questions when they did the mobilization. If they had it to do over again, do you think they would have possibly taken all the Japanese Americans and put them in camps? You know, you can, you can second guess. The point I'm making is not that that was a right decision or a wrong decision, but imagine the power you've given the government over society to deal with a crisis. So one of the things that I see happening here is you're manufacturing a crisis that, hey, if, if, if Mother Nature starts to accelerate climate change, it will be a big deal, okay? But if you're attributing that to man and therefore you're saying man broke it, man can fix it, the science does not show that that's possible. Using the UN's own models, they show that the effect we're going to have is minuscule with these plans. And uh, total decarbonization, you know, one, it's unrealistic, and even if you could do it, whether you could shift the momentum of what's already happening is, again, very, very unlikely. Dr. Dan's final episode with Robert Kappelman. We'll be right back after this quick break. You know, what you're talking about here is, is something that I think is probably the key point that we can make, is when you talked about the mobilization that occurred in World War II, we had real, truthful evidence that there was a crisis. The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. There were 2,500 men, women, and children were killed in that raid. Battleships were sunk. The port, the airfield, and whatever were, were in flames. We were actually attacked. That was an act of war. We saw what was happening in Europe, where the, where the British and some of the French were forced to evacuate to flee at Dunkirk with massive loss of lives. We saw V-2 rockets from Germany raining down on the city of London. There was no... There was no models. This was not a computer model that we were looking at. It wasn't a video game. It was the truth. And so to mobilize in the faith 
in the face of a truthful crisis is smart because that's what you have to do if you don't want to give in. What we're looking at now is the request to do even more disruption, a total disruption of our society for computer models. And we all know, as you aptly pointed out, garbage in, garbage out. If you cull the data to only put the worst scenarios, the worst possible data into a model, of course you're going to get catastrophe and Armageddon coming out the other side. I, thought, I saw an interesting, you talked about how to pay for this, and I saw some interesting numbers. The proposed tax increase at a tax rate of 70% on incomes over $10 million per year. There are 68,000 people in the United States have an income over $10 million a year. They pay about $400 billion in taxes. Raising the rate to 70% would generate an additional $70 billion per year or $700 billion in 10 years. That doesn't even come close to the $92 trillion that this plan would cost. And an additional note, in Canada... They did raise taxes on the top 1%. They expected to gain $3 billion in tax revenues. They actually got $4.6 billion less because, obviously, people with that kind of money can walk. They can go elsewhere. They can hide their money. They can do whatever they want so they don't have to give their hard-earned dollars to the government. So, again... These are, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an attempt of a socialist, tyrannical takeover of the United States. It's been going on for 100 years, and this is another chapter. Unfortunately, I think you're right. Um, but again, uh, you look at the sacrifice for World War II, and we've all had relatives that told us you know, how things, things were uh, and the rationing and what have you. And no one complained because they knew what they were doing would get a result, and they knew that failure was not an option in that particular case. Uh, what people are trying to create is that same uh, terrible outcome if they don't do something. But uh, the science, the economics tell us that, one, you're not going to be able to do it. Uh, the, the other thing is the projections of what the danger is are greatly overstated. But, but here's the thing. If, and I think a lot of people, and this, is, and this is where we're dealing with people that are not taught to critically think, uh, where a program like yours is helpful because it's like, well, my gosh, if I have to sacrifice to save this planet, to have a life for my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren, then by golly, I'm willing to sacrifice that they can have a better life because I'm told now the next generation will be the first generation that is not, uh, does not have the opportunity to have a better life than I have. Well, would you sacrifice for that? Well, of course, of course. But if I told you I'm going to take all this money from you, and I'm going to do all this stuff, and at the end of the day, you'll have nothing to show for it except a bigger national debt. 
what would you tell me? Okay? And this is the, the, the thing that people were willing to sacrifice in World War II because, one, they knew the threat was real. Two, they knew they could do something about it. And three, failure was not an option on that. Got to win it. This thing trying to create that same fervor that, my gosh, we're, we're going to save the planet. We've got to save the planet. Yes, there's going to be sacrifice. Yes, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I think you lose the argument, and I've heard this argument several times from the talking, uh, as we call them, the talking heads. I guess we're talking heads too, aren't we? Uh, that uh, this is going to cost too much. This is ridiculous. This is cost much. Well, okay, that's, that's a good argument, okay? No one likes to spend money. But what really people don't like is to spend a lot of money and have nothing to show for it. And this is where you can spend a lot of money doing things that accomplishes nothing. So you can go in this with great intentions and you can lead people uh, to thinking that this is a crisis and we can fix it. But I think the science and the economics show us that, one, uh, this is not the most cost-effective way to deal with the crisis to begin with if there is such a crisis. Uh, and man's being the cause of this crisis, uh, what the, the UN models tell us, that man is somewhere between a minor impact to the whole catastrophic 50% of what's going on. So you take that back and you look and you say, now, let's do some better research to see whether man's a bit player or he's the superstar in climate change. The data that I see today, and I, I, we talked about atmospheric photochemistry, I was one of those uh, long-haired weirdo researchers trying to predict when the next ice age was coming. And we were absolutely convinced based on the fact that things have been cooling for about 20 years. If it kept going, we'd have another ice age. But guess what? Turned around and started warming. And then another bunch of long-haired weird scientists say, my gosh, what if it just keeps going up higher and higher? So you have to be careful. If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Uh, I, I learned from my uh, graduate school research days about global cooling. And what we, what we knew we knew we didn't know. Well, in 2007, a statement was made uh, by the IPCC, and they said in 2007, we should recognize that we are dealing with a coupled nonlinear chaotic system, and therefore that the long-term prediction of future climate states is not possible. And now they're predicting it. This kind of reminds you of the Twilight Zone or the X-Files. The truth is out there somewhere. And if you go through the, the good research data that the UN has done, and there is some good data and good conclusions, and you can get the honesty out of that. But what people don't realize is this: all the science is repackaged into a policy report. And this is what the politicians have to go by. And the policy report basically wants to create a crisis that the government can help us solve. And uh, I th that 2007 quote is honest and telling. 
but very rarely do you hear someone bring out the actual uh, reports from the scientists. You get the political scientists giving their report. I want to close with uh, a comment uh, from you and from me, and I want to bring up to you uh, the movie The Hunger Games. Have you seen The Hunger Games? I have, several times. Several times. I think everyone needs to watch The Hunger Games, especially the first movie, probably more than several times, because what that, mov- what that movie is, it is a graphic picture of exactly what the arrogant elitists want to occur in this country. No longer a nation of states, no longer a nation of free people. What they want is enclosed prison camp regions where people are forced to live. In between those regions, like Region 12, where Katniss Everdeen lives, and we, right now, we are in Region 12. This is our region. Uh, Can't get any more graphic than that. In between those prison camp regions where people are allowed to live are natural forests and wildlife untouched by human presence in any way. The regions are all connected by rapid rail, and that is the way the arrogant elitists want us to live. They, of course, are all living in the palaces of Pan Am, okay, while we are scrounging for a chunk of bread and something to exist on in Region 12. When I saw that movie, it had a powerful impact on me when I came out. I came out of the movie theater and I sat in my car and I actually cried because what I had just seen is what life would be like if these people get their way. Let's hope that never happens. I think as long as we have a constitution and a Supreme Court that hopefully will always be loyal to the Constitution, that won't happen. But when you have people that start talking about um, a document that is 200 years old and antiquated, and they say to me, you know, our values change, and I say, you know, you're right, but that Constitution is not based on values. It's based on principles just like science, and principles don't change. So anytime I hear someone tell me that the Constitution is an, a, an old document, and I said, well, you know, the law of gravity is an old law. It still works. The law of motion still works. Those are scientific principles. They're also governmental principles, and that's what the Constitution is based on. The Constitution is based on natural law rights, divine rights given to us by God at birth. Those rights are are enumerated in the Bill of Rights. The body of the Constitution is kind of like the, uh, the, that's the mechanics manual for the government, but the Bill of Rights is the operating manual. It, the Bill of Rights is the most important part of the Constitution for us because it defines in no uncertain terms, the relationship between government and the citizens. And uh, you're absolutely right. The Constitution is a contract. It was signed 230 years ago. And I believe in the words of that contract, 
contract. And I think that it's really critical that we understand that we are guaranteed by that contract unalienable rights of life, liberty, and property uh, spelled out uh, to our benefit. Bob Kappelman, it has been a pleasure to have you on Freedom Forum Radio. Your thoughts, your ideas, and your expertise are exactly what we need to hear. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you also, Dr. Dan. It was a pleasure being here. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. We're going to be all right this morning.